So welcome to episode 60 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. A bit different today. I've got Daz, uh, Darren Hill with me on the road today uh, on the commute now, Daz. You're doing the, the big commute these days. How's that going for you? I'm coming from the exotic northern beaches and yeah, I'm going to do my best not to wander off the M5 or the M something for the, <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'll, I'll be all right. Um, as, as long as you keep us on track, Dad. So <laughs> I might need your Google Maps probably get that fired up here just in case, maybe. Yeah, I've got the mobile yeah. right there, so I, I can put the maps up whenever you need it. So, nice one. Look, Daz, we've got a little bit of news to get to. We, we sort of had planned to speak today anyway, and, and I wasn't um, planning on any great news sort of breaking. We, we had the Houston trade from a couple of weeks ago now we wanted to talk about. But obviously the big news coming out today was Minnesota's Jimmy Butler has requested a trade. Um, I haven't sort of looked too much into it. I know All I know at this stage is he's requested a trade. There obviously had been stories brewing about him not being happy there in Minnesota. And he's listed L.A. and New York as his preferred destinations. Uh, And apparently the Clippers are putting together a deal was the last I'd seen of it. But I'm not sure if you've sort of heard any more news outside of that and what your sort of immediate reaction is. Yeah, so that's probably the the gist of the news as well. Look, my immediate reaction was that this has been brewing for a while as we started to hear the, the story started bubbling out about friction between the hard-driving, right, absolute uh, persistence towards excellence and perfection Jimmy Butler with the, you know, uh, NBA 2K video game playing laissez-faire style of Carl Anthony Towns in particular. So this had been brewing. So a bit unlike the Kyrie situation, which happened very quietly and suddenly, uh, this to me wasn't a giant surprise where I was probably before we before it broke i actually wanted to have a conversation with you is given that this sort of this feels like this zit is coming to a head that's going to need to be popped you know which who would be the first one to go would it be tibbs and you know sort of starting and cutting off the head of the snake would it be someone like jimmy who's probably the undeniable star of the team um but perhaps the you know the most cultural culturally friction friction making sort of member would it be cat who would have to choose his way out of town, or would it be the you know now suddenly perhaps overpaid but locked in long-term Wiggins? Would they pull a a Blake Griffin type of deal for Wiggins? And so I thought that would have been an interesting conversation to dive into before this news, and maybe is still relevant. So that for me was the first reaction was wow something's got to give, and um, something's got to give was my first reaction. My second reaction was I thought. Tibbs and Butler would be joined at the hip, so therefore, if it's um, sort of all or nothing, it's like Tibbs and Butler um, stay, and they try and find a way to, you know, break the, get rid of one of the young guys, or they're both going to go. So I'm not sure if that's still going to be the case. I still think that's in play. I think there, there's a there's a yeah. Wiggins trade, and you saw Nick Wiggins, uh, Andrew Wiggins' brother. Uh, put a tweet out just after the news broke saying thank God or praise God or something like that. So obviously 
Andrew Wiggins is not the biggest Jimmy Butler fan. But at the, no. from Minnesota's point of view, I think Wiggins is far more disposable for them than Butler. I mean, if, if they could get Butler to sign a long-term deal, and they already put a four-year, $100 million deal in front of him, if they could get him to sign a long-term deal on the proviso that Wiggins gets moved, I think it would be only a matter of time before they'd find someone uh, to take on yeah. uh, Wiggins's contract, even if they had to add, add an extra asset to get rid of it. So that feels like a scenario. I, at this point, probably feel like that's still the most unlikely of the scenarios, right? The other one that's in play for me is if you're the ownership group and you see that Tibbs, obviously, who has a, had a huge hand in the Timber Bulls building and has gotten to this point, how do you not look at Tibbs and go, mate, how did this get to this point under your watch with your specific architecture, your personalities, your guys in this team? How has it gotten to this point already? Well, right? it shouldn't surprise think- anyone, though, Daz. This is the point where Tibbs Bulls got when he was in Chicago. So it's not like that was a team that had this great sort of mojo together and loved it, loved playing with each other. That's that's what's always been so uh, amazing to me about the, the the desperation Tibbs has had to put that team back together. Yeah, and that's why I mean, if I'm I'm so I guess I'm agreeing with you there. That that's not a that's not a newsflash either. That Tibbs is his style and Butler is his you know is who he is. And so, but if I'm the ownership group, I'm going fuck. What have we have we just is this the was this the inevitable here, right? So for me, as I go a little bit, I can see that Tibbs was a big name, easiest, probably a you know trusted track record. Um, this promise of being able to galvanize a team and you know bring in a strong system, but now with this clarity of that, just how fractured it is, it is quite easy to see, right? That you go, how did this oil and water experiment ever really? make a ton of sense where I don't know about you uh, but my thought was a year ago huh maybe the, the the thread was maybe Jimmy rubs off right maybe the young guys get in line and quote unquote get some grooming and quote unquote grow up and and mature and and take the game more seriously I think that was the thought no doubt would have been the story Tibbs was selling to to ownership you know to make the Butler deal and to Again, double down with it with Taj and, and Derek Rose, etc. So this is all on tips, right? There's there's zero excuses left, and so I don't. It'll be interesting to see how the ownership group sort of parses this between um, Tibbs's inability to bring a team together, right? Or is it just can they separate that from Jimmy and quarantine it as his personality? He wants to own a team. He wants to be the alpha. He wants a bigger market and maybe cater to that uh, and just carving him out. Well, I think part of the problem for ownership is, I mean, who's making the decisions in the franchise would be my question because you go out and you draft two guys that are ready to play next year in um, Josh Kogi and uh, Kurt bates Diop, and then you go and sign Luel Dang who essentially plays the same position as those guys, and any minutes that he's going to play is going to take away from the rookie. So it felt to me like Tibbs is making some decisions and other people in the front office are making other decisions and and it's not sort of meshing at all. And Tibbs is not a guy that generally plays rookies. So you're thinking, why are you picking these rookies that are ready to play 
you may as well have picked a young guy, send him to the G League and see if he develops. Yeah, there's that dynamic with the roster construction. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, so my, I guess my perspective at this point, right, Carl Anthony Towns is waiting to see what happens with this. You know, he's obviously not all in. This is, this is, a, this is a multi-fractured locker room, right? Um, I didn't know about the, the Wiggins brother tweet, but that stands to reason, right? The, the gentle-minded, he's not an alpha at all, Andrew Wiggins, that he just hasn't been able to, you know, live up to the Butler style and they, you know, for them to become Batman and Robin, so to speak. Um, a devastating wing combination, which was, in theory, uh, and a self-actualized Andrew Wiggins on defense next to Jimmy Butler is a pretty interesting... Well, he theory. went the other way, didn't he? He went back into his shell like he a frightened turtle. He's tracked it's exactly right, shrunk his head. In, he was so. like George Costanza getting out of the pool back in the day. Yeah, yeah, he was in the pool. He was in the pool. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of shrinkage with Andrew, <laughs> except for in the bank account. So I'm, I guess... so. I, that was my initial reaction was all this has been coming to a head. This is all, right, this is highly predictable based on what we've seen the last couple of months and stories emanating. So um, I, my gut tells me Tibbs will survive this. And my, probably my money is on that Butler does get dealt um, is my, probably my, I'm a betting man. And obviously Wiggins is locked in and probably be the hardest aspect actually to trade because I think his trade value would be so much lower even than Jimmy Butler's is my perspective. Like you'd be looking oh, at no a, doubt. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're looking at a, a Blake Griffin type haul at, at best, right? Um, that, that sort of deal. So that's where I'm at. I kind of, I guess my mind has quickly gone to uh, probably at a minimum Tibbs is on an extremely hot seat here. And I think to resolve this, he's going to have to eat a lot of humility and probably completely accept that the type of team he imagined building cannot be the team he can build, and therefore trade trade Jimmy to save his own job. As contrarian as that would have sounded, you know, uh, six months ago or even three months ago, where I would have felt those two would have been their futures would have been hardwired in Minnesota. I now think Tibbs is going to have to go on his own. Right? He's going to be forced to change or die. Well, and that's, I don't think he's going to change, Daz. I mean, he followed the same path. I mean, I, I sort of compare him in, the, in many ways to D'Antoni from this point of view. They both went into unemployment essentially at the same time, and they both followed the same path around the league where they spent some time with some of the different organisations to learn, yep. I guess, the way... They, and both of them had time in San Antonio, both of them had time in Boston, for example. Although I'm not sure Tibbs may not have gone back to Boston, but I know D'Antoni did spend some time there. Um, D'Antoni learnt, whether he learnt something from there, he certainly changed. I mean, last season, he essentially, to my mind, coached the best team in the league and they were a defence-first team. They shot more uh, mid-range shots than they had the year before. They sort of did some things that you would have thought, well, that's not Mike D'Antoni's normal style. He changed the way he coached and he changed the way that team played from what we'd seen in the past from D'Antoni, whereas I think Tibbs has just tried to come in and do exactly the same thing, particularly around the rotations and just running guys into the ground and playing them sort of 40 minutes a night. That's been one of the things he just hasn't learnt, I don't think, uh, during his time away, that I thought maybe he would learn, and I think, and, and Jimmy Butler said some said things about this in the past. As I mean, he may like the way 
Tibbs plays when they're on the court, but I don't think he likes the fact that he's going to go out there for 40 minutes a night. And I don't think he particularly relished the idea of pushing himself to those limits again this year for, yeah. at best, a sort of 4-5 seed and having to put up with, with Wiggins and Towns and sort of the, the lack of effort that they give, particularly on the defensive end night to night. So I wonder how much of this is, just building on that, how much of it's Jimmy... I wonder how much respect Jimmy's lost for Tibbs because I what I'm sensing and hearing as well is that Tibbs kind of let Cat be Cat and Wiggins be Wiggins and Jimmy be Jimmy this last year, which would explain a lot, right? That they're all kind of these three, um, these three, you know, very different types of players, but not exactly marching in the same direction. So I wonder if Jimmy's lost a bit of his faith in Tibbs is part one. I wonder if that how much of that seeped into this conversation that he had uh, or part two is it that just the path of maybe is he still as strong as ever with Tibbs but that he knows that Tibbs' flexibility is limited um, with one dealing Wiggins for value and two I think even Jimmy would probably acknowledge he'd be a fool to trade Carl Anthony Townsend just doesn't see a path you know to this becoming a cohesive team and therefore is he just sort of saying get, it's too hard it's not getting me the team I want. I need just to get out of here. So is his relationship with Tibbs as strong as ever? And just saying, look, you know, you guys need to build around the youngsters. Get, get me out of here. So um, that's why I probably, I'm still erring on the second side. It's probably more of that. From what I gathered about, maybe you're challenging that assumption. Maybe Jimmy's lost a bit of that love for Tibbs by, by being ridden so hard as well and his inability perhaps to bring this team together. But I think this is a... Um, I don't know about what you think at this point, but it sure seems clear that a uh, this is Kyrie, this is Paul George, this is you know this feels like a fait accompli that that Jimmy's the one who's going to have to be dealt here. Oh, I think he will be, and and I guess then it becomes what what can you get back for him at this point? And the Clippers are obviously the team that would be most desperate to get him because I think they're of the three teams that he's sort of looking at. And I guess you can throw the Nets into that as well. Of the teams that he's looking at, I, I think they would be the least likely to, re- to sign him in the, in the off-season, assuming he doesn't yeah. go there and play this year. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. And obviously they can probably offer the best assets for a win-now situation, particularly if they throw Tobias Harris in, for example. At least, you know, if Tobias Harris comes in, you're sort of getting 75% of the offense and, and maybe 20% of the defense, but it's still not a bad piece to add to this yeah. one, given yeah. that they will be aiming for the playoffs again. But look, there's a real risk for Minnesota that in two seasons' time, Wiggins is the only guy left on this roster. And good luck building around Andrew Wiggins for the future. Well, yeah, then you you have your 30-win team every year, right? Yeah. That's your back to the Kevin Love era where you've got one, you know, one uh, non-alpha dog sort of star who, you know, he's not the... He can't create a team around him. He's not a Russ Westbrook or an Oladipo who's going to have the ball in his hands, you know, for every possession where he can hope to build a 45 or 50 win winner around that one star. Um, you're right. That's a that's a lottery team if that does happen. But I'm I'm not willing to write off Carl Anthony Towns as a running mate. Again, I'd have to I'd have to probably study a bit harder and listen a bit closer how close Cat and Wiggins are. But um, I think I think Jimmy's as good as gone. I. And I haven't read any of the, I guess, any of the more analysis if it's come out today. But that was my very, my, my next reaction 
was just what you said. I thought the Clippers just in an instant were the best fit for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, which you hinted at, the, uh, which is I think Minnesota's going to need to get ready pieces back. This is not a get a future first rounder and a, you know, a Frank Nilakina from the Knicks. Like that doesn't help Tibbs save his jobs or then to make a mark in the Western Conference. I look at the Brooklyn Nets just don't have the impact sort of pieces. I go, could you talk yourself into, you know, Damari Carroll and D'Angelo Russell helping? Uh, you no. could talk yourself into, it, but I couldn't. But I'm so I'm with you. It's just the instant reaction to the the sheer number of types of pieces that the Clippers have, right? is if you're Minnesota, you can almost pick your archetype. You want a defensive backcourt player, you want a shooter, you want a, a, a bench big, you want a stretchy four. They've pretty much got every toy, you know, in, in, the, in the toy basket, so to speak, because they've got their, their famously 15-person deep roster, and it'd be pretty easy to match salaries and get yourself a Avery Bradley, Patrick Beverly, and, uh, right, and pick a big. Gallinari or uh, Montrez Harrell, you know, a couple of depth pieces in the on the bench, or sorry, on the in the backcourt, and maybe some, you know, a, a bench depth on the in the front court, and you got guys who can get, go right into the rotation, and try to then craft an offense that becomes cat heavy, and uh, um, almost dare I say, not in the spirit of a Nikola Jokic type offense where. You craft it and run that run that ball through Cat on you know a vast majority of possessions. Let his usage go way up and get him more shots in space and just completely re-engineer that offense, which is basically what he'd have to do again if you trade Jimmy and take the ball out of his hands. So, well, um, but then the question becomes: Is Tibbs the right coach to do that? Well, spot on. Is he even capable? Right. One, is he capable? And two, is he the right person? Maybe that's the same question. And all evidence suggests no. Yeah, it would hint at no. That's exactly right. You know, um, so his his offense, right? He's been Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler heavy basically for, I guess, a better part of eight eight nine years, right? Hasn't he? Um, well, he's a horrible offensive coach from from what we've seen in Chicago, and I don't think Minnesota haven't exactly been a smooth running offense, even though their offensive rating's better than that that team. But I think that's more personnel based than anything that Tibbs has brought to the table. Yeah, I think I think that's right. So. Look, I think the Clippers make the most sense. It makes a ton of sense for them. Um, it makes a ton of sense for Jimmy to be in the big market. And I, I think what I, I guess you're acknowledging was a little bit different than Kyrie, which is Jimmy's like, I'm alpha dog. Build the thing around me. Get me in a big market. Let me, you know, let me be the Russ Westbrook of my team, right? Let me build this around me. Um, and uh, that's why that sort of mentality just, I think LA makes a lot of sense. I don't think it makes a ton of sense under Kenny Atkinson um, and what they're trying to build in, in, in Brooklyn. I can almost say New Jersey every time still. I think Brooklyn's better off. You just got yourself on a path to having assets and you just got yourself on a path to having, you know, building a team culture that can start to build something. I just don't think this is the right time for Brooklyn to, to trade a bunch of assets for a Jimmy Butler when they're a million miles away. It would feel like the uh, the Knicks getting Carmelo, right, all those years ago where they just emptied the cupboard and were so far away. It just doesn't make sense if you're... um, if you're, um, what's his face? Um, uh, oh, sure, Marks. No, not, Marks, not when they're yeah. about to finally get their draft pick back. Too, I don't. I don't think the first thing they'll do is go. Let's let's aim for a six-seven seed 
in the East uh, for a guy that yeah. may do well. Look, bowl. that's what I, you, you, you got yourself probably a top five, top six pick locked in right now, right? Take their chance at the you know top of the lottery, perhaps. Why? Why? Even if it meant just dealing the vets, if it meant dealing a a Dinwiddie, a Carroll, and a, I don't know, maybe Lavert as a you know upside piece for him. Even if it meant not really disrupting that you know core and seeing what you had with you know um, with say Russell, Jimmy Butler, and Jared Allen. I go, you're going to probably win some more games. You've just hurt your draft pick. You're not any closer to being relevant in the East by it. And who knows if Jimmy want you know would want to bail end of next year anyway. So well, there's a talk that Brooklyn might be a player in free agency. I mean, that's the only thing I would throw out there. Um, and there's some there's some talk around the league that players like Brooklyn for the point that they're a blank slate, and a Kawhi Leonard or a Jimmy Butler can go there and essentially say let's get another two really good guys to join me and all of a sudden we're a contender in the Eastern Conference. So that's that's where, from Butler's point of view, even more so than the Nets, that might be a, an attractive destination for him. That's an interesting conversation. I hadn't, Which is then more of an appealing destination, the New York Knickerbockers or the Brooklyn Nets? If you are all things being equal and the money being equal um, and the number of stars, let's say both teams have space for two you know, two max type of players in theory, which do you think is actually more attractive? The glam of, of Knickerbocker land, but the, the drama of James Dolan, etc., or the relative, you know, uh, cohesion of Brooklyn, but it's, you know, it's Brooklyn. What do you yeah, reckon? Uh, I think, well, in some ways, Brooklyn, it depends on the personality of the player, I guess. In some ways, Brooklyn, because as I said, it's a blank slate and you can almost start from scratch and say, let's build something here. Or if you go to New York, the spotlight's immediately on you. Um, and, and it depends if you want to play under the spotlight. So if it's a Kawhi Leonard, I think Brooklyn would be more uh, appealing to him. If it's a Jimmy mm. Butler, maybe it's a New York. Because Butler liked Chicago. He wanted to be at, at Chicago, if you remember. Um, he, did. he was upset when he left there. So to me, maybe maybe the Knicks are a bit more uh, of, a, of an attraction. But then you got Paul Zingas is there. There's injury there's injury question marks over him. Um, he's going to have to get paid at some point. So you wonder what, whether they're going to have the flexibility to bring yeah. in the stars that what what Brooklyn could do. Because um, Brooklyn could just about wipe the slate clean of their roster and and bring in you know two two max slots. Uh, next summer, along with some some really nice supporting pieces. So I, I'm I wonder well, how long this is going to draw out. Now we'll see what ownership does with Tibbs. You know if they're going to do a bit of different evaluation. And I think it'll way. be quick, Daz. I'll make a prediction there. I think it'll this this will this will um, sort itself really? out pretty quickly because this has been brewing for a while. They, they offered him the contract. Apparently, there's been. I, I think yeah. what you'll find is I think Jimmy Butler's made some requests to management behind the scenes that we haven't seen, we haven't heard of yet, they have not been acquiesced to, and therefore he's made now the, made the trade request um, and he wants out. So I think they're going to make a, a reasonably quick decision, given that it's going to be pretty awkward for him to come into training camp, which of course starts next week, um, and, and assume that he's going to sit there and, and pretend they're going to start the season with him and Cat and, and Wiggins again. I mean, they need to get this done quickly as possible, Um you know, to get some certainty around the lineup that they're going to use for this year. Yeah, but boy, that just sets them. Talk about the hottest seat in the in the league. Then suddenly becomes you know. I thought Scotty Brooks had the hardest job 
um, of any coach in the league in, in Washington and that and that catastrophe of a place, I thought, believe it or not, Luke Walton's got a, suddenly a very hard job, you know, perhaps a supportive ownership, but we all see, you know, what the pressure of LeBron might do to a guy. I think I thrust Tibbs right in there with the, um, maybe not the most difficult job, but the the, if the hottest seat in the league um, type of thing. But, yeah, it's how the timing is awful, though, isn't it? Right, because Kyrie. What did Kyrie? Kyrie well, that's why I think there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes because the timing Maybe. makes no sense. A week before training camp, and this comes out. Something, yeah, things must have unfolded. <laughs> they would have had to, yeah. Because I thought Kyrie was a peculiar timing. That was what mid. Late August, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but we found out afterwards. So. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going yeah. on the scenes there as well. So no, I'm I'm just talking about the, what that means, and to suddenly have a very different roster if you're Boston and Cleveland, right? You suddenly this late in the summer got a very different roster. This is doubly hard in Minnesota, right? Where you lose your alpha in end of September, a week before camp. So I go. I tend to be on your side where it feels extremely pressure-filled to do this now, but what choice do you have? Well, here's what I'd do too, Daz. If I'm James Dolan, I'm getting on the Google now, I'm working out where Kurt Heinrich is, I'm signing him to a 10-day contract, and then I'm packaging him and Noah for Jimmy Butler. (laughs) Do you think Tibbs would say no? (laughs) Well well played, sir. Well played. (laughs) Yeah, he's... Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's lovely. Um, James Dolan's not that clever. <laughs> no, he's probably he's probably not thinking that far ahead. Yeah. Uh, now, Daz, I know you've been listening to some pods, and you said there was there was one podcast that you listened to on the Jimmy Butler. Uh, I haven't listened to it, but you listened to it on the Jimmy Butler subject that uh, that made your blood boil. So I'm going to give you a, a second there, the rant, um, while you're trying to fight the traffic to get home. Oh, look, it's, this is... It's really bad form, isn't it? To uh, uh, <laughs> I'll say this in the in the to stretch the definition to its furthest possible point to uh, you know to, to bash your brethren in the you know punditry <laughs> podcasting community because we have so much in common with Bill Simmons and the Ringer. Um, but when it came when it came to to light, the very first take on the NBA show was they of course they instantly run to how much sense it would make for Philadelphia to acquire Jimmy Butler and just went on and on and on about it. And I wanted to, I just, it, it was almost, in many ways, almost worse um, than having Bill Simmons, you know, apologize for Deflategate for another hour. You know, it was almost worse because you expect Boston homerism from them. But now they've got Philly. I can't remember if it's Chris Ryan one or two of the guys, right? They're big. They're big, big Philly fans, and so, of course, it had to be. You know, of course, he fits perfectly in Philly, and how they can make it all work, and how it'll work, how how Ben Simmons can work off ball, and how Jimmy's great in the catch and shoot. They they had it all worked out, Daz, and I just oh. Who man, was oh, the man, um? Man. Who what was the trade package? Oh, you know. Uh, it'd have to be Sarich, wouldn't it? And, uh, Sarich and Covington Sarich. or something, yeah. Yeah, Sarich and Covington would fit perfectly next to Cat, and, you know, it was, it was whatever it was, it had nothing to do with, of course, you know, Embiid and Simmons aren't nearly as valuable. You know, they're way too valuable compared to Jimmy Butler, right? Even though in every objective measure, Jimmy Butler is a far better player than both of those guys. Um, so, again, it was just one of those hyperbolic um, fan fantasies, which... Uh, you and I are, have never done. 
and never would do. <laughs> no, of course right? not. No, of course not. Of course not. We leave all um, that offline. We leave all that offline, the, Des. The one that I thought was as equally unrealistic because of the improbability and implausibility of Jimmy Butler wanting to do it was a more credible guy, which is Sam Vecini, who runs, uh, he's the host of Game Theory Podcast, who loved the idea of the theory of the personality fit of pairing him and Victor Oladipo together in Indiana, so having a package around Sabonis, Bogdanovich, and uh, another piece. Yeah, so Thad Young or something, yep. Yeah, so I go, yeah. So that was as equally uncredible, because Jimmy would never want to do that, but um, at least it had a semblance of, uh, I guess, a thread of commonality, which was how would this personality of Jimmy Butler, what's his idealized on-court, you know, type of team? And I go, yeah, maybe that killer instinct of a uh, pair next to Victor Oladipo or, uh, you know, that's where, that's where Vecini went. But Well, the, but the look, one thing to make, the one point to make on that is the 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 guys who have come forward and given their list of preferred destinations, as yet no one's gone to one of their preferred destinations, because even Kyrie, Boston was not on one of his preferred destinations when he handed in his trade request. And obviously we know Kawhi didn't have Canada high on his list. Um, So, and Butler now is saying, so they're in New York. So there are going to be other teams potentially that can get involved in this. Yeah, Paul George, George the same thing. That's right. Yep. So yep. the, these guys haven't yet sort of been able to manoeuvre their way to their preferred destination. <laughs> and obviously, we, we always assume, oh, well, this is this is the teams that are going to be in there. But you also imagine, given they're the preferred destinations, they're going to be the teams that will come forward. And this is already a guy that the team's taken a chance on that he's going to sign the extension, and he hasn't done so. So I think it's going to be a matter of buy beware. I don't think teams are going to be sitting there going, well, remember Paul George went to OKC and signed the extension there. I think that there can be a pretty, pretty good assumption that if you trade for Jimmy Butler and you're not in LA or New York, he's not re-signing there. That's one of the areas that he's going to be meet, That's who he's going to be meeting with um, yep. next summer. So, yep. Um, just so that's the, why I, go, I think if I opened up the world of possibilities, which I... I, maybe the, the Twitter the Twitterverse already has. I go, there's probably lots of other places where there's guys on expiring deals, right, where it would you know, make a little more sense, where the risk is equal both ways, where, you know, Minnesota could theoretically convince themselves they can be a top four type of seed next year and be a credible, right, a credible threat, you know, in the playoffs. Um, but I, I don't know if the – I've not done the calculus yet on where those destinations might be. I don't know if you have yet, Diane. I haven't looked into it enough. No, all I've yeah, seen is that yeah. the Clippers are probably the favourites from what I've read at the moment. The Knicks have, for what it's worth, they've said they're not going to be giving up first-round picks for guys that they can potentially sign as free agents next summer. So whether Jimmy yeah. Butler's such a big name that they, they ignore that rule or not, but I've got a feeling that they won't. I think they're happy to stand pat. Um, and I think teams are looking at it and going, you know what, we're happy to not be that great, get a good draft pick and then ch- try chances in free agency um, at, yeah. the end of, at the end yeah. of the season. So just so we'll leave that there and we'll see where that where that goes and maybe next time we speak um, we'll have some more clarity on, on the Jimmy Butler situation. Just to go back to the, the Philly situation for a minute, there was a bit of news with Philly. Elton Brand uh, signed as their GM, so they went through this off-season with Brett Brown essentially as the GM for all... For uh, for our purposes, anyway, I don't know who officially was sitting in the role. We just all assumed. I think it was it was Brett Brown, 
making the decisions. Um, they've gone with Elton Brand. Elton Brand was the general manager of their G League team, uh, so he's got a little bit of experience, I guess, from that point of view, although there's a big difference between that and, and actually being an NBA GM. I get the sense that Philly sort of trusts the infrastructure within their organisation that, you know, we can bring in a guy that's not that experienced and as an organisation we can continue to make the right decisions and I think you'll see Brett Brown may very well have uh, a bit of a say in in what the front office does going forward as well um, in that. But I guess I wanted to bring up Philly and I'll get your take on Elton Brown if you have one, but... I'm, I get the sort of sense. I think people are overrating this Philly team heading into the season. I'm, I'm not as high on them as a lot of other people. A lot of other people are sort of putting them and Boston and and Toronto in as the the main contenders in the East. And I'm not sure I put them in Boston and Toronto's class just yet. Yeah, I certainly don't. I, I've but you've heard me bang on about that for pretty consistent since uh, Embiid emerged to health emerged healthy and this this his persona I've talked a lot about where I felt that the the a better Philadelphia 76ers on court product long term is a team that's built around Ben Simmons and his style and his persona and his right his personality um, but I just think that was always a better play so I'm not convinced that that has long-term success yet, the two of them. Injuries aside, I'm not convinced that's a great thing for the, you know, I guess for their trajectory. Um, and yes, I guess the obvious things were, you know, they, you know, to what extent are we going to attribute, you know, their late season run and their playoff success to the, you know, to Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova, who, uh, you know, ushered in, let's say, a whole bunch of uh, late season success. Now they're you know, the stabilizing influencers, so to speak, are gone um, versus it being a soft schedule versus them just also playing some really fantastic basketball. So I think all those things probably were true. Well, I think um, the, the playoff success was a little bit overrated as well, Daz. I mean, as soon as this team met any adversity in the playoffs, they just folded like a cheap suit. But they lost a close game in game one of Boston and that series was pretty much over from that point. They just blew game after game. They could not handle adversity at all and they and they were terrible in close games and that was something that really happened across the year my worry for this team is what i know i haven't looked at their schedule or anything like that but i really worry if this team starts three and six i've, I've got a feeling you're going to see some finger pointing and i've got a feeling you're going to see some some um, some ruckus in the in the locker room there uh, and I wonder who's going to emerge because I'm, I'm still not convinced this is Embiid's team just yet. I, I, I'm wondering who's going to really take ownership of this team and say, this is my team. Because I think that was one of the reasons they lost those close games down the stretch because it, was, it, it wasn't clear who's, who's going to say, I've got this and I'm going to take over the game. Well, that's, a, that's another way of saying, I, I'm agreeing with you. That's why I say that for me is the... This is Joel Embiid's team. It's his voice. It's his persona. He's the communicator. He's defensive anchor, right? He's the he's kind of the heart and soul. He is. If you ask ask and look at the Philly fan base, he's been through the you know the agonies of the of the surgeries and the two missed seasons and the broken feet and the trips to the Middle East and and all this, right? He represents everything about the process and. He's this galvanizing uh, uh, figure you know, uh, socially, right? 
he's affable. And so the fan base, it is Joel Embiid. It, it is their, it's their Giannis, right? And I go, not only is that a, I think, perhaps a risky applied, is what, perhaps what you're hinting at, is he's a big man. He doesn't have the ball. Kobe had the ball, not Shaq, right? Ben Simmons has the ball. And so when your team, and, the, and, and Ben Simmons isn't just a facilitator, he could be, right, he could be LeBron-level passer, right, an un- Steve Nash visionary-type player, right? So you go, how can both of those things coexist, right? Will you have the best Ben Simmons um, if he is always kind of the, if he's the second voice, um, on that team and always under the shadow, will he develop? Will he flourish? Will he become? Will he become self-actualized? That for me is a big, both emotional and basketball sort of tension to watch. And then the variable for me, why I'm not totally, I guess, all in, is that we have no idea what Markel Fultz is. Because if Markel Fultz is even 80% of the prospect we saw in Washington, this team's trajectory is one very different, and again two. He also changes Ben Simmons, right? And so I don't know what sort of chemistry experiment we'll have. Will this be Cat Wiggins and, and Jimmy Butler type experiment? Or will it be, right, Steve Nash, uh, Amari Stoudemire, uh, Sean Marion, for want of a better metaphor, big three, where it's a, a very harmonious sort of unit. That's a gigantic variable, right, is the faults in his play and then how his play affects usage, uh, role, minutes status all the rest of it right so yeah. well, I, I think there's so many so many variables well there. i agree and that's why i look i wouldn't be surprised if they were the one seed and came out of the east uh that wouldn't shock me but it also wouldn't shock me if they were a six or seven seed like i even as weak as the east is because i just think Embiid still hasn't shown that he can stay on the court there's all sorts of um, issues to me about how that team's going to gel together, particularly once you throw a Fultz into the mix and you're expecting him to play big minutes. So I think there's a lot of questions. I I'm certainly don't think I'm ready to pencil them in. I'm, like, I'm more, com- more confident about how Indiana are going to go this year than what I am about Philly. I just think the range of outcomes in Philly is, is so wide at the moment. Yeah. I'm surprised people are just putting them in there as they're one of the contenders, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure that they are just yet. Um, I think we're going to have to wait to see it on the court, and I think and I think that's yeah. Brett Brown's seat's going to heat up pretty quickly uh, if they hit some rough waters because the, the expectation of that fan base, I think, is, is over... Or is sort of outperforming what um, they're able, they're going to be able to achieve. Oh, uh, for sure, without a doubt. I think yeah. they're going. To, I think they're going to expect that sort of run that they went on, which was largely schedule based at the end of the season. And I mean, even within that, you know, they were, they were meeting playoff teams that were uh, resting players and things like that. So there was there was a number of sort of underlying issues behind uh, why they had that sort of sixteen seventeen game win streak at the end of the year so I wouldn't be getting too excited about that and obviously um, when this season kicks off you're, you're at zero zero again so it doesn't really ma- mean much uh, when we come into this season so the other bit of news as though we want to touch on was around uh, the Houston Rockets and the, the Phoenix Suns because we've, we've often spoke on this pod about uh, the Ryan Anderson contract and who would possibly take on the Ryan Anderson contract. Well, we found the team that would take it on. That's the Phoenix Suns. 
So when I first heard about that, I thought that Ryan Anderson going to Phoenix, I thought, oh, finally someone's taken that Ryan Anderson contract. But really, it was just bad money for bad money because Brandon Knight goes back the other way. And Houston actually gave up Milton uh, to, is it DeAndre Milton or DeAnthony Milton, um, who was a second-round draft pick, but that was actually highly rated. Uh, before the college season and had some issues within the college season and then really played well in the summer league. So he was sort of viewed as the main asset actually in the trade when you take the contracts into account. So, and then obviously Marquise Chris going back the other way to Houston and it, it appears that Marquise Chris is a bit of a lost cause at the moment. But what was your sort of, what did you make of the trade, Daz, uh, for both sides of this? I couldn't believe Anderson got traded. Right? I shouldn't have been so surprised, but I was very surprised. Um, very surprised that he was able to be traded. Well, it was only $3 million difference. I mean, just to stop you there, it was only $3 million difference in the end between yeah. his contract and Knight's contract, who are essentially well, two guys you're not expecting to play. Well, that's right. So that, it's actually quite, you know, as you said, money for money. And then I was saying after I it settled a, a little bit, um, I realized, well, look how many times Timothy Mozgov and that contract has been moved. Right, um, Miles Plumley signed a smaller dollar value, but he's infinitely worse than Ryan Anderson. He's got you know his contract was moved. So NBA teams approved, you know, creatives and desperate when those things come together, these contracts do get moved. And I think that's what we have here is uh, one side being creative, Daryl Morey, and one side being desperate, everything the Phoenix Suns do, and you find yourself <laughs> a union. And well, so I, I disagree been, with that. I, I, I don't understand. What, what are Houston doing? I mean, what, why does this trade make great sense for the Houston Rockets? Uh, the theory is uh, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony's taking the minutes. For yeah, Ryan okay. So, because right? Ryan so, Anderson can play for Phoenix. I mean, I said earlier he's not going to play. He wasn't going to play for Houston. But theoretically, he can play for, for Phoenix and at least them, they increase their competitiveness to some degree. And I guess from Phoenix's point of view, you're now punting on Chris and you're saying, let's see what we've got with Dragon Bender, who's literally been the worst player in the NBA that's played significant minutes in the last few years. And I guess now they may be looking at him and going, well, he's up, his ceiling might be Ryan Anderson. So maybe we've got the same type of player there. We're going to play a style with a stretch four out in the out in the court at most times. So I could un- I could sort of understand it, and I think Milton was worth taking a pun on from their point of view. And I think they've probably seen enough of of Marcus Chris. So I actually could understand it from Phoenix's point of view. Not that I love the trade, but at least I can understand their thinking. Whereas from Houston's point of view, I, I've not understood one thing they've done in the entire off season. Right. So uh, um, just on the Phoenix side for a second, the, if we zoom back out another half a step, though, that's where I go. I'm, I, I am so uh, fill-in emotional word here, I, I perplexed, dumbfounded, uh, angry, frustrated at the start-stop-start-stop start, stop nature of the what, what Phoenix has been doing. And I go, really? You're, you're going to tell me, not, not you, but the, you're going to try to convince me, Ryan McDonough? that uh, Ryan Anderson is $12 million a year better than Jared Dudley, why not just fucking play Jared Dudley? Let him shoot 11 times a game, right? Let him shoot. Let him play the, uh, the, the, the gunner role from the four. You just had this old guy. You freed him up. You're, 
your theoretical stretch gunning four with one NBA skill, which is shooting three-pointers from deep. Now you want to pay $19 million a year for the same skill set for two years? Mind-blowing. Yeah, but they've got the money. I mean, there's no opportunity cost. What's the opportunity cost for them? They're not going to be players in free agency. So if you're paying paying Ryan Anderson, who cares, really, from their point of view? But that's my point. Why? So strategy... If their strategy, if you're trying to say their strategy is to try to get a stretchy four, you had him a month ago called Jared Dudley. You let him go. Now you're choosing to pay $20 million for it. That's my point. Are you telling me that Phoenix's message to the NBA is that we think um, Ryan Anderson is $12 million or $13 million a year better than Jared Dudley? And I go, that's madness. That's no, I don't think madness. they're saying about- that, but I, was saying, I think they're saying money, money is not a factor here. We got Brandon Knight off our off our books anyway, so really you're talking about three million dollars, not nineteen million dollars. And Ryan Anderson's a better player than Jared Dudley. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm saying is he thirteen million dollars a year, you know, better than Jared Dudley? I don't think so. So, but I don't so, think they're so that's, saying that. That's that's my point. I, I don't. I, I think you're looking at it the wrong way in that in that sense because I don't mm-hmm. think money money doesn't come into their thinking at this point. Because it's not like they're sitting there saying, well, we want to have money to go and make a big run in free agency. Um, they're just looking to put together their best time. They've got this money with Brandon Knight. We can get rid of that. We bring in Ryan and Okay, it's an extra $3 million on their payroll. That's what it is. I mean, I think you're looking at the wrong yeah, figure. I right. think you're looking at $3 million well, rather than $13 million. Yeah, so, I, you know, okay. that's I can see that. And you get rid of Marcus Chris, who was a cancer. Yeah, well, he's, he seems to be Larry Sanders 2.0, just doesn't really want to play basketball. Um, just doesn't doesn't like, doesn't enjoy it. Doesn't like it. No. So uh, I don't know what the heck that means. Um, I wonder if this is, this is more of an indictment on Brandon Knight and, you know, uh, and his health. And so if you talk about win shares for the upcoming season, my money is 100% that Ryan Anderson will deliver more win shares you play him 20 minutes a night, then Brandon Knight, so that I buy. But, but I go, but why Why pay a premium for that capability? Why do that is my point, Des. You could have that. You could have had that with Jared Dudley for a fraction of the price, right? Yeah, so but then you've still got know. Brandon Knight on the roster, so you're not really... Yeah, you don't have to play him. You don't have, you don't have to play yeah, him. Yeah, but from a salary cap point of view, you're no better off. So you're actually, now you've got a better team albeit how much I don't know for an extra sort of so, three million dollars. Okay. So, seeing that logic through which I go fair. So this is a this is a six and one half dozen of the others, you know, do you who whom do you hate more, Ryan Anderson or Dudley and Brandon Knight? So I go I, that's uh again I, that's fair enough. So I can see that perspective. So therefore this actually perhaps becomes about um DeAnthony Melton. So maybe this effectively becomes right um, the well, I think, yeah, that's that's the headline of the trade, in my opinion, because this was a guy that had a good reputation going into college, had some issues in college, fell in the draft, killed it in summer league. Now, middle of summer league, there's been a lot of guys that have killed in summer league and haven't gone on the great NBA careers, but showed enough in summer league to think there's something there Yeah, where he's the yeah. asset in this trade. And, and I think it's a nice move for, for Phoenix to just say, let's take a look at this guy. So maybe I'm just hypersensitive to the the fact that this is a, a team who I've um, often, and for most of my life, have loved as my second team, and I'm just so 
infinitely perplexed by even the concept of Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson. I just e- either go young and build young or not, and, and plug plug a hole. I guess every now and then you can't have all twenty one year olds on your team, but I just don't. I don't understand what they're doing, Daz. You know, I thought if you let the young guys sort of grow together, get another sort of top lottery pick, and I go, that's the other thing I'm I'm sort of seeing here is I thought it would have been better off. Let Brandon Knight rot on the bench. Don't play him, right? Let the young guys play. Let Bender and, and these guys get these minutes and and, and 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 Aiton and so forth. But now you got Ryan Anderson playing 20 minutes a night and Ariza playing probably 20, 30 minutes a night. And I go, really? That's what this team is going to do to, you know, worsen their, their draft um I just don't think, look, they couldn't afford another season like last year where you come out and get pumped by 60 points on opening night and two nights later by 50. They're the sort of, I mean, no one's developing in in those situations. And, you know, okay, Dudley was a fine locker room guy. He doesn't help you on the court. I think Anderson and and Ariza will help them on the court in terms of their competitiveness. Um, and I think it's a better move longer term. I don't know how many wins they're going to add to their tail. It was yeah. obviously a very difficult Western Conference anyway. And there's already talk that Trevor Ruiz is going to get bought out and go to the Rockets in January. So watch this space um, if that happens. I think if that happens, honestly, they need to look at changing the uh, the buyout rules, uh, in my opinion, to what happens. But we'll, we'll, we'll track what happens that, with is that. that a- is that an actual rumor, or is that the? Uh, I heard it. Rumor? Yes, I heard it on a podcast, Chris Maddox podcast, the, the other day, where they uh, was put out there that um, you know obviously Phoenix won't be in the in the playoff picture, you know, January February. So um, a reason might put his hand up for a buyout and um, go back into the mix. And well, I mean Andrew Bogut did it. Well, almost did it. He ended up on Cleveland instead of Golden State. But uh, we have seen it happen before. That's criminal. That's borderline criminal, isn't it? That that doesn't sound right. But uh, I could see him getting dealt, you know, back to Houston. I don't think there's any rules against that, are there? But I guess uh, no, not called. for trade. But yeah, no. If he yeah. if he asked for a buyout, um, and I guess um, yeah, who knows? Who knows yeah, what right. that might happen there? Yeah. Um, now, quickly so on, the, so on the Houston the, side, um, yeah. who's going to show up more out of shape to uh, next week when they turn up? Is it going to be James Harden or Marquez Chris? Who's your money on? John Wall. <laughs> yeah, he's going to show up uh, puffy and tired, yeah. Look, Mark Chris has shown, he's not shown any evidence that he really wants to put in the work um, to get his body right. And I, I don't subscribe to the fact that, I don't subscribe to it being, quote, the Phoenix environment. Um, because, you know, as Eric Bledsoe was treated five times worse than Marquise Chris you know, having the career, having a career season, and benched in that in that career season. Eric Bledsoe famously takes care of his body. Uh, Devin Booker, um, you know, has emerged as a, you know, literally a top ten NBA scoring sort of talent. So I don't buy this argument um, that it's the environment for for Marquise Chris. I don't doubt there's better environments and worse environments, but there's also calling being a professional, having drive, and you know, trying to improve yourself. And I go, I just have a low. I put a low probability on him turning it around based on what I've seen. Never impossible, never say never, but I think it's a low probability. So I actually think, um, I know your question was who's going to show up more out of shape, but I, I actually think Brandon Knight might play a little bit um, if he's if he's healthy, if his legs are, you know, um, and if he's back, 
Um, and we've seen plenty of guys come back from ACLs, Bertans, Jabari, um, Levine's finding his way, so on and so forth. I think he'll play a little bit. Um, I mean a little bit. 50 games for 10 minutes a game, but I don't think he, you know, I don't think he moves a dial. I think he's the salary filler. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, to your earliest point, I'd have no idea what this does for Houston unless they see something you and I don't see in Chris or Brandon Knight. I go, can you, can you find the upside of this? Because it's only, is it that, what's the upside for Houston in losing Anderson? That other than, we all know Anderson wasn't quote unquote playable in the, you know, in the finals, but what really, how did these guys offer a better alternative? I don't. It's I don't see it. No, the the yeah. thing that I the most delicious thing for me was that Mark Carter Williams and Brandon Knight are on the same team now, and they've That's always been beautiful. so linked to that that ill advised trade um, that the Bucks pulled off uh, with, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. with Phoenix um, back at, uh, what was it now two three years ago. So yeah, fifteen. Um, yeah, who plays more minutes this year, Carter Williams or, or Knight? Wow. You know, I'm actually going to say Michael Carter-Williams just because I know he's at least healthy and he can theoretically play defense, you know, for, you know, 12 minutes a night next to Chris Paul. Um, that's my, that's a theory. <laughs> Brandon Knight, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I can't see it. Again, unless he's so, unless he's, he's, he's had some amazing transformation with this knee surgery and, and, uh, but it's going to take him, take him half a season to find his legs and he's not going to play yeah you know that's he's not going to play then tony's not then tony's not going 11 deep you know no. eric gordon's still going to play 35 minutes a night so so yeah i'll play i'll actually say mcw i agree uh, i agree I, look yeah. i'd love to see brandon knight come back and show something but i think the odds are, are well and truly stacked against odds it are long at yep. this point so yep. I, I didn't understand the move but I, I i take your point in the sense and you've said it a number of times i mean daryl Morey's probably earned our trust um whereas phoenix haven't over the years, so that's why you're automatically when you see Houston do a trade with Phoenix, you automatically I think think, well Houston's obviously Look, done that. Uh, uh, done the having work. having been you know witness to um, Brandon Knight's meteoric rise in Milwaukee, where he had that season where you know I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought he shot close to forty percent from three in that final year in Milwaukee, that final fifty games he played that year. So again, the theory of optimized Brandon Knight, which is uh, you can shoot the three off the bounce. He's got a bit of size, right? So if he can, he finds his legs. The theory of, of Brandon Knight um, is a fit in Houston, right? It's the shooting threes off the bounce um, and not afraid, not afraid to get it up. So yeah, I don't, yeah. So well, they've said that about you over the years, Des. Yeah, the theory of Daz is is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's exactly right. And, and we're just and not we're afraid to, to get it up. Not afraid to, not afraid to hoist. I'm a chucker. That's for sure. I'm a chucker. <laughs> so um, look, Daz, last Dez, question. Dez, Have we got time yeah, for one go, last question? Yeah, one quickie. I've just pulled up to the house, so okay. One, one last one. One quick one. Who's your tip? So last year we pulled off. Um, the the one sleeper team. Mine was Utah in the West, and yours was Toronto in the East. Who's your sleeper team uh, for this year? And we can probably riff a little bit more on this next week. So the way I define sleeper is who's got the team, who's got some upside, right? That we just haven't seen yet, and who's got maybe the, you know, who's who's got multiple players 
who've, who've got this untapped potential that are probably going to get a, a chance to show up this year. And I've actually got it, um, I've got it narrowed to three teams. It, it, unbelievably, one of them is the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> well, um, that, that was my pick. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not shitting us. I've, I've, I've sat and thought about this, and I go between um, Bryn Forbes, between um, Dejounte Murray, um, between Derek White, um, between Parto. Um, I go. There's enough there for me to go, and of course the, the the mysticism of the coaching and the fact that for the first time in 25 years. No Manu, no Tony, no Tim, no Kawhi. I go. There's going to be plenty of space for 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 Pop to um, to mix and match and try things and and give things a go and give younger guys a chance. So I think that's for me is once I don't have the number one team. I'm going to give you my three. Hmm. The number two team actually is is the freaking Memphis Grizzlies, where I again for similar reasons. Yes, one of them is is Jaron Jackson. Um, one of them is Dylan Brooks. Um, but if you look through look through the where the Grizz is at as well. I go, I think there's, yes, of course, there's still the Mike Conley bit. I think we've seen the best days behind Marcus Saul. But I go, I think we're sleeping on the toughness of the Grizz. And I'm forgetting a couple guys at the moment, Daz. Well, Slow-Mo um, Anderson, of course. Slow-Mo, of course, right? He, he can play a little bit. Um, Jackson, Slow-Mo. Um, ah. Conley Gasol, you know, like that—that's the infrastructure, of course. That's the infrastructure, right? So that's the team that's easy to, easy to sleep on. So again, there's a couple names I'm blanking on, but they're they're number two. And I was trying to force myself, so I go, literally, San Antonio was the first one that jumped out at me. Um, and I go, who's the team in the East? Is there a team in the East that has a similar potential? And as, as I can't believe it. Is I actually think our, the two teams might be Milwaukee and Phoenix. Or, sorry, Milwaukee and San Antonio might be our Toronto and Utah for this year. Or it, it's literally because of Bud and finding mm. more from Brogdon, more from Snell, more from Sterling Brown. Can he do anything with Dante DiVincenzo? Can he do something else with Thon Maker? So I'm far less. I think it's a far greater probability that Milwaukee doesn't achieve it than, say, Toronto last year. I just think there's a whole bunch of players who, who haven't been put in the best positions to succeed because of Jason Kidd, because of his effed-up rotations, because of Jason Terry taking all these minutes, because of Jabari you know, kind of playing ball hog, where no word of a lie, and this is not scripted, I actually believe it's probably San Antonio and Milwaukee might be the two teams who have, you know, who've got you know, real playoff sort of aspirations. Um that got upside. So those are my, those are my, my one, one a in Memphis who I uh, had clearer thoughts on before he just, uh, before he sprung it on me. <laughs> well, look, I who can't, I can't uh, add too much more to that because San Antonio were my pick as well. I, I sort of started out thinking this was going to be a bit of a disaster of a season, but the more I look at this roster, the more I hear coming out of San Antonio. Um, and there's a name you didn't mention, which is Lonnie Walker, which they're quite high on as well. And they think yeah. he might start the season in the early, but they're expecting he may play in the second half of the season. There's a lot of upside. Derek White, they're really excited about. I think Murray's got some untapped upside, particularly on the offensive end, which we may see this year as well. Uh, Rudy Gay has come back in looking a little bit better. 
um, this season as well in terms of his health, and he's, he's had a season in the system. Uh, and, you know, just the fact that they've got DeRozan there, they've had him there for the full off-season. I think people are sleeping on DeRozan. I mean, I saw where DeRozan was ranked in the sort of top 100s, and I thought, well, people have just forgotten what he's done in the regular season. I mean, OK... He was embarrassed in the playoffs against LeBron, but he's not the first player to have that happen to him. So I think for the regular season, they're going to be a very good team. They're probably going to surprise a few teams the way they play defence and the, and the commitment to the mid-range, which is going to not be the typical way other teams play. And I agree with you on Milwaukee as well. I think we've with uh, Buds there, the coaching upgrade uh, between from Buds to what we said saw last year, as we spoke about in our last pod, is is it's going to be something you need to factor in. And um, I read a great article which I shared with you on on Clean the Glass yesterday, just sort of touching on what Buds might be able to do with that uh, that offense, and it's pretty exciting to see, uh, particularly given that they've got some shooting around him now, and that's where Divincenzo might even have something. Um, to add to that team if they can add some shooting around them. So I, I couldn't add too much more to that, Daz. I'm, I'm probably on board with those picks as well. The other team I throw out there is New Orleans. I know there's probably not necessarily a sleeper team, but I think they I think they could push top four in the West as well. I think people are maybe expecting them to take a bit of a step back because some of the players they've lost. I actually like the players that they've they've signed and I think they're going to play the fastest pace in the league and I think they're going to be very, very hard to keep up with um, on a night-to-night basis. Okay. So... So I might... Look, I might let you go, mate, if you want it, unless you had the final point to make. No, no, no. I was was just trying to force myself if we had to pick non-Milwaukee and non-San Antonio, but but believe it or not, that's my... um, That's sort of my objective view as well. And have a listen. I think the other fact... What I was going to... Sorry, the last... Point I, I remembered was the um, as we talk about, don't underestimate the power of a motivated man and a man on a mission. Right, much like we talked about, we sort of sensed Russ. We all knew Russ was going to breathe fire after KD left. We sort of sensed that um, Victor Oladipo was going to have a enormous spike in the usage last year. You know, getting moved into Indiana. I think maybe the guy this year might be DeRozan. Is don't underestimate a guy who desperately wanted to stay in Toronto. Now he's being talked about like, you know, he's almost like a how bad of a value San Antonio got from him. Now he's going to be surrounded by an amazing coaching staff and a highly motivated, you know, veteran group of players. And I go, I think you watch DeRozan be as fucking motivated and as um, as keen to, to play 82 games at maximum, maximum effort this year was my other feeling about the other variable for San Antonio is you might see yourself a super, super motivated guy in DeMar, which might be really fun for um, for, for Spurs fans. I think they've all got a bit of a chip on their shoulder, I mean, because a lot of people are writing him off saying, oh, they, they may struggle to make the playoffs. And I know internally San Antonio are very, feeling very confident um, about their chances this year. They should. I think I've, I've um, you know... I didn't love the, and I have to be honest, I haven't. I didn't love the, the, you know, last year was pretty painful to watch, and I know it was that obviously, um, Kawhi sort of torpedoed what they've become, but it's been a long, 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 long time, right? From an outsider, kind of having some mystery and intrigue surrounding them, because you always there's some banality and you knowing you're going to win 52 games from an outside perspective, but they're they're shooting up my my NBA league pass in terms of curiosity. Think about Pop, what he's been through as well personally, is you hope that the fact he's had such dramatic roster turnover that he and he's lost Borrego 
and you know change some coaching staff right um, that he's got himself a really 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 hard puzzle to figure out this year in a very very different way than having to, to deal with the fucking shit he had to deal with last year with Kawhi and that group and the fracturing locker room that that created I go he I hope right that again what he's been through personally maybe this is the motivation maybe this is the puzzle that he wants to solve maybe this is really really fun for him to go how can I put this together and so I would love nothing more than have a you know sort of phoenix rising from the ashes story and have them become a credible you know 55 plus win team that <laughs> that makes Houston and Golden State sort of think and I I haven't fucking said that about that fucking franchise for in a long long time right from from my Bruce Bowen days and my Rob Horry days, so I go. But for once, objectively, I'm, try, I'm catching myself here, Dad. That's a really freaking interesting team this year. Yes, I agree. I'll be I'll be watching them. I think they'll be they'll be probably more exciting <laughs> to watch than they have been since uh, so the four yeah. and fifteen. Daz is going to tune in. Good man, good man. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So we have we have more reasons to watch um, Spurs Bucks this year than to. Um, to watch how uh, Lonnie's warm-up drills look different than Dante DiVincenzo's Oh, that'll be drills. the big watch. There's no doubt. We'll, we'll be having a weekly watch on, uh, on Lonnie v. Dante, even if it is in the G League stats, Daz. Don't worry about that. So I'm going to stop my um, Spurs fellatio and let you go, Daz. All right, mate. I'll let you get inside as well. Good to talk to you, and we'll, we'll try to do it again next week. That was fun, buddy. Good to catch Thanks, you. Mate. Bye. Bye. Bye.